can be seated. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. May this time bring you glory in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm excited to be up here this morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Deacon Tex. I'm one of the deacons here at St. Thomas. And uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history about the gospel reading we heard this morning. I'm uh, excited to, to talk about it and um, just give you a little bit of myself as well. Uh, for those who don't know, I grew up in a bit of a small town in northwest Georgia, I live most of my life in this wonderful state that has two national championships. Uh, it's great. I spent uh, about seven years living in Mexico and in New Mexico for a while uh, in my 20s, but uh, most of my life has been spent uh, living and growing up in Georgia. But it, it really doesn't take growing up here, growing up in the South, to realize that as a Southerner, you're going to end up being the butt end of the joke quite often. Um, I know that we're all familiar with this. Uh, we've seen Southerners portrayed in television and uh, movies, uh, books, as dim-witted, uneducated, backwoods folks. Uh, I've, I've seen that all my life, and I've, sometimes, obviously, it can be funny, right? Um, but other times, it can be annoying, but we all have seen it. But what I think is actually more interesting is when you get a little more localized with that idea. Um, see, like I said, I, I grew up in the northwest part of Georgia, uh, but my wife, she grew up in Marietta, Georgia. And Marietta, Georgia was pretty fancy to where I was from. I was from, uh, like I said, Cartersville, Georgia, which was, again, uh, 20 years ago when I was growing up there, it was a, it was a pretty small town. Uh, there's a lot more to do now. But uh, when I was growing up there, and, and when I actually, when I met my wife here in Athens, I found out pretty quickly when we were dating that she thought Cartersville was where all the rednecks and the country folk came from. Now, it was only about 30 miles up the road, uh, but, uh, but it was a big deal to her that I was from that area. And, uh, but you see, I knew, see, that was the thing. She, she didn't really know. And I knew because I was from that area, and I knew where the real rednecks were, and they were about 15 minutes up the road <laughs> in Adairsville, Georgia. But, uh, but that, that's, isn't that funny? I mean, I, I'm sure you've grown up, I'm sure where you grew up, or where, even now, uh, in Athens and, and around us, I mean, there's stigmas to different areas, a, a town over, and where the, where the uneducated folks live, um, you know, what's a little more backwoods uh, than than where you grew up or, or you know, the, the town over. And interestingly enough, it's actually, uh, we see that in our uh, gospel reading this morning. Uh, and we hear about this region in the Bible that is often uh, throughout scripture, really, and in the New Testament, it's the butt end of the joke. It is a, a place where you don't want to be from. And it is the region of Galilee. And that's the region that we find Jesus and our gospel reading in Matthew this morning withdrawing to. Now, uh, it, you could really say that he actually withdrew further into the region because Matthew, uh, Jesus was actually born in uh, Nazareth, which is southern Galilee. So Galilee is a, it's a pretty big area, but Jesus actually withdrew from Nazareth into uh, further north into northern Galilee. Um, and we're, we're gonna, I'm going to pick up our reading uh, 
right here. So it says, uh, now when, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. And we see him withdrawing there, but we don't only see him withdrawing there. We actually see Jesus starting his ministry there. This is where Jesus kicks off his ministry. And in fact, actually, most of Jesus's earthly ministry and most all of his miracles, uh, his sermons, that all happens in this region, in this really interesting region of the world. And this, uh, like I said, he was born there, he grew up there, and then he even escapes further into Galilee uh, by the sea there in Capernaum. This is the region where Jesus, like we heard this morning, he calls his disciples, right? Uh, All of his miracles, almost all of his miracles start, take place here. Uh, Starting next week, uh, we're actually going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount. That comes after uh, our reading this morning, uh, Matthew 5. That happened in Galilee. The people that Jesus was actually preaching to were from Galilee. Those were his earliest and most trusted followers. Almost all of his disciples were from that region. Um, Actually, throughout Epiphany, we're going to be studying in Matthew, and we'll never actually leave this region. And so I thought it was interesting, uh, as I was kind of reading through that and looking at our uh, schedule coming up, and I thought this would be an interesting thing to kind of look into. Where, what, what is this region and why is it important? Why would Jesus choose to go to Galilee? And why is it important for us 2,000 years later? Uh, what, 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 what about that area is important to us? And to, to answer that, I think we first need to look a little bit more into who these people were. Who were Jesus's earliest followers? And why would I call them, what I would say, maybe the Southerners of the Bible? They're the ones that are the butt end of the joke, right? So who were the Galileans? And the first thing we get here, the first clue that we figure out who they are is in that prophecy that we heard in our reading from Isaiah. It says, uh, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. That is, uh, it goes on to say, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them, light has shone. And now if if you've probably heard that reading before, and and if, you know, you've been around the church at all, that Isaiah 9 reading, it's it's pretty common. Actually, in the Christmas season, we read it a few times. Uh, Father Daniel actually uh, had a great sermon on it on Christmas Eve about how the weight, of the, sho- the weight of the government will be put on his shoulders, talking about Christ. And that's where we, that's where we get the, uh, for, us, for unto us a son is given, to us a child is born. That is, that's from that same passage there in Isaiah. However, if you're anything like me, you really kind of start to recognize this passage in verses 2, right? The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. It sounds a little bit more familiar, But what struck me this time as I read through the passage preparing for this morning is this question of who these people dwelling in darkness were. Who is Isaiah prophesying about? Um, I think previously in my mind, and and I I don't think this is terribly wrong, but I've always just assumed people dwelling in darkness meant everyone. Without the light of Christ, we're all dwelling in darkness, right? And I think that there's definitely some truth to that. However, Isaiah is actually 
pretty specific about who these people are, right? The land, those dwelling in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. He's actually very specific. He gets dialed in. And so that got me thinking. I was just curious, uh, and I started kind of looking more into that. And so the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now, again, if you're not a Bible scholar or if you're like me, those names are just going to sound like odd names, right? You're going to read through that and just, I know personally, I skip right over that all the time. I'm like, okay, I don't understand that. But they're actually very specific groups of people. Uh, the Zebulun and Naphtali are two of the original 12 tribes of Israel. And if you're familiar with your Old Testament at all, these are two of the names that, you know, you might actually easily forget out of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're not something that comes up very often, uh, like some of the other tribes, like Judah, uh, Levi, or even some of the other sons of uh, Israel, like Jacob, uh, or, uh, I mean, Joseph. Um, but yeah, so there, there are these, these names that you would, like I said, easily, easily forget if you didn't go out looking for this stuff. And although you don't hear the names of Zebulun and Natali as much as some of the other tribes, they do get a few appearances in the book of Joshua. And I'm going to turn there this morning, Joshua, I believe it's, oh, actually, I don't have that marked. I apologize. I'm not going to turn there. <laughs> That's good. Uh, but anyway, you, you do, you hear about them in the book of Joshua uh, when the promised land is divided up. And again, if you know the history uh, at all, the Israelites, they move into this promised land that they've been promised from uh, all the way back from Moses. And uh, they are there with Joshua and the land gets divided up, right? And so you've got these, this whole kingdom that gets divided up by these 12 tribes. And the word Galilee actually gets mentioned in the book of Joshua. It's one of the only few times in the Old Testament that you actually see this word mentioned. And the two tribes that end up in Galilee are Zebulun and Naphtali. Uh, and then it's, like I said, it's rare that you even hear these names in the Old Testament. They are there a few times, but um, it's actually the next time you even hear about the region of Galilee is in 2 Kings. Now, I'm not going to go through a whole history here, but it is important to know that, you know, after David's son, King Solomon, Israel was split into two, right? There was a civil war that happened, and you had this northern kingdom, which was the northern kingdom of Israel, and then you had the southern kingdom, which was Judea, Judah. And Jerusalem, which we've all familiar, we've, we've heard that term, Jerusalem, the city, where the temple was, that was in the southern kingdom of Judah, all right, away from the northern kingdom of Israel, where Nebulun, or where Zebulun and Naphtali were. See, Galilee was up pretty far away from that. And both of these areas we know from history eventually get conquered by surrounding uh, kingdoms. But the first to get conquered is the northern kingdom of Israel. You see that reading uh, this morning that we had in Amos. Uh, if you, it, it's, a, it's a tough reading, actually. Uh, it was a prophecy that Amos had. And he, I'm going to read just a little bit here. It says, uh, here, here, this word the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. I'm going to continue on there at the end. He says, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you and your strongholds shall be plundered. Amos is actually prophesying to that area. 
to the area of all of northern, um, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. And he's actually doing that. He's prophesying and he's talking about their punishment because of some pretty specific reasons. If you read actually through the book of Amos, you'll see that what he's talking to them about and why he's saying that punishment is coming is because the people in the northern kingdom, they've split away and they're actually being influenced by other nations. They're actually uh, other gods. They're worshiping other gods. They're actually setting up idols in, their, uh, in, in that area. And furthermore, they're actually, they're, uh, the wealthy in that area have allowed the poor to sell themselves back into what they would call debt slavery. And Amos is, is pretty upset about this. Uh, those that are in debt slavery are not allowed any type of legal uh, representation. They are really, they, they have become slaves again in that area. And these are the people that, as uh, Amos points out, he had brought out of Egypt, right? These are originally, they, this, these were God's people who were slaves in Egypt, who had been brought out of Egypt through that, been given a land, and a couple hundred years later, they've forgotten who they are. They have forgotten, and they have returned, and they've actually become, they've become the enemy themselves. They have become enslaving people, and that, and that punishment is coming because of what they've done, and that's why Amos, that's where you get that pretty, uh, pretty tough prophecy that Amos delivers there, and interestingly enough, the area, the first area that we see in the Bible, this, uh, that the northern kingdom, Assyria, attacks, and that's the one that comes in and, and takes over the northern kingdom of Israel. The first, king, the first area is this area of Galilee. Um, it's the first of God's chosen people to fall back into captivity, the land of Naphtali, the land of Galilee. And it was really strategic, actually, actually, for Assyria to move into that area because from Galilee, they could attack all the other regions, and they did, and they ended up attacking and conquering all of northern Israel. Um, they, they carried those in Galilee off into slavery. You can read about that in Second uh, Kings is where it's recorded in the Bible. But after Assyria plunders and enslaves the region and overthrows the rest of all of the northern kingdom, most historians actually believe that Galilee was abandoned. It actually was abandoned for hundreds of years. Uh, the historians have gone back and actually looked for signs of life between the Assyrian invasion and the time of Christ. There's very few things that they can find. There, there's very few like pottery, uh, coins, things like that. They've actually done these studies. They, they can't find much that was in that area during that time. So the belief is that it was pretty much just deserted, that this area was, was a land of darkness. It was completely deserted by God's from God's people. They were no longer there. And that was the land that God's chosen people had been brought out of now. And this is the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. This is the one that Isaiah is prophesying about, right? The land laying in darkness. And now... Historians agree that it's most likely this area actually started becoming repopulated in about 100 years before Christ. Um, and it's really interesting that it happens in that time. It's, but it, who populates it are these Judean immigrants. They come up, 
from Judea. They're, they're immigrants. They're uh, not from around that area. And when the Jews are finally allowed to come back, it has been completely populated about 100 years after it starts being repopulated by people from all over the, the area. It's not just Jews that are living there. It's mostly actually Gentiles, pagans, people from all around. And that's where this area is. It, it is full of pagans. That's why we see this, Gal- why he calls it the Galilee of the Gentiles. Um, and we see that it, it is so different. It's actually so different from Jerusalem and the other areas that the people there, and they have, they've been influenced so much by these other areas. They've, they, again, there's a lot of other idols there. There's another, a lot of other gods there that people are worshiping. And the people, even the Jews, they even speak differently. They have accents. They actually have a different accent than those people down in uh, Jerusalem. We actually see this in, the, uh, in Peter's denial of Christ, right? Matthew 26, 73 says, after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them. For why? Your accent betrays you. They actually knew that Peter was from Galilee, one of Christ's followers. Why? Because he spoke differently. Because he sounded different. And because of how different they were and how influenced by Gentiles the Galileans were, they were completely looked down upon which helps us understand why the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day were so dismissive. They were so dismissive of anyone from that area, from the Galilee region, that was only about 55 miles north of Jerusalem. And I know I say only 55 miles, but I mean, you think about it back then, that's a long way to walk, right? 55 miles. It took several days. So it was, it did feel very removed. Uh, In his uh, commentary on the book of Matthew, Dale Bruner, he actually writes about Galilee and he kind of gives this uh, a picture of what the area is. He says that in Jesus's time, it was not just geographically far from Jerusalem. It was considered spiritually and politically far too. Galilee was the most pagan of the Jewish provinces. Galileans were considered by Judeans to sit rather loosely to the law and to be less biblically pure than those in or near Jerusalem. Uh, Another commentary uh, about Galilee says that it was a remote part of the country that lay furthest from Jerusalem. And it was looked upon with contempt as rude and boorish. The inhabitants of that country were reckoned stout men, fit for soldiers, but not polite men, nor were they fit to be scholars. That's the kind of area this was. There was. They were looked down on, the uneducated. Even his own disciples had reservations about Jesus being from Galilee, remember? If you remember Nathaniel, when he was called, when uh, his friend Philip comes running to him and says, hey, hey, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. We know who he is. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel's response is what? Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What? This can't be true. This is the town over. This is the area that you don't want to be from. And this is the, edu- this is the like I said, the uneducated, those that are far from God. This is that area. And how similar is Nathaniel's reaction to the Pharisees? 
right? In John 7, uh, we, we hear about these Pharisees that are, that are hearing about Jesus and his ministry, the man from Galilee. And this is their response. It says, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, and remember that crowd, is, that's, that's Jesus's followers. These were the Galileans. This crowd does not know the law. It is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to them before, and who was one of them, actually said, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, what, are you Galilean too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. There was so much contempt, contempt for these people. And the religious leaders, they were actually so blinded by their thoughts and their feelings about this area that they couldn't see how wrong they were. Several commentators, including uh, N.T. Wright, have pointed out that there were several prophets, actually, that came from this region. Jonah and Hosea, just to name a couple, came from that region that they just could not see. But how amazing is this? How amazing is it that those who were furthest away from God were the ones that, were, that Christ came to first and the ones that were so quick to accept his message? We read this morning in our, in our gospel reading about the calling of the disciples, right? And what does it say? He, he calls them from, their, from the boat. Jesus calls his first disciples, Peter and Andrew, and he says to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother in this boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left and they followed him. These were the people that were ready to hear the message that Christ had. The Galileans were Christ's first followers. You see, Jesus, this is important because Jesus, he didn't first reveal himself to the scholars or the religious leaders of his day. No, he, he actually, he came to the lowly. He came to those who were the furthest away from what was considered proper and theologically correct. And I know we hear kind of that idea a good bit, but I don't know if we fully grasp how important that is. Because not only did he choose to reveal himself to the lowly, the despised, the scorned, and the rejected, he, endured, he entered into that same position. Right? Christ was one of them. He became lowly. Christ Came, became despised, scorned, and rejected. He humbled himself so that he could reach his lost sheep. And I know we give the Pharisees and the religious leaders and educated people of Jesus' day a hard time for rejecting him, right? When we read those passages, but what would we have done? I had to ask myself that as I was kind of thinking through this. Do we really think that us in Athens, Georgia, a cultural center of the Southeast, home to the University of Georgia, amazing restaurants, the birthplace of some awesome music, cult amazing culture here, right? 
church is full of educated and outstanding members of society, would we listen to a rough-looking construction worker from somewhere up in North Georgia? Do you think we would really listen to him, especially if he had a funny accent? I don't know if we would. Wouldn't we say the same things the Pharisees said? Wait, where is he from? Who is this? Who are his parents? How easily do we write people off? How easily do we make these quick judgments because of how someone looks or what they've done or what they do currently? How easily do we write someone off and believe that they're too far gone because of the way they speak or what they have done? Or how quickly do we say something like, I just wouldn't fit in? I know I'm guilty of these judgments. I'm guilty of the same judgments as the Pharisees. But here's the good news. Here's what we learn from Christ coming to Galilee. It's that no one is too far off. That no one is too far gone. All that Christ requires is a humble heart. You see, the people of Galilee, they're significant not just because they were the outcasts of society, not just because they were poor. They were poor people. They were uneducated. They're not significant because of that, but they're also, they are significant because their lives, their history, and their social positions had humbled their hearts, and they were ready to respond to Christ's call. They were ready to listen and to hear what he had to say, they knew that they needed a savior. Christ came first to those who were willing to repent and believe in his message that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. But he didn't stop there. This season, the epiphany season, is about how Christ's message went out into all the world. How it spread throughout the world, through the church, and it has gone into every corner. But what the church should always remember is that it was started by uneducated fishermen in Galilee. That's where the church started. It started with Christ calling those people. So no matter what our social position is, no matter how much knowledge or money or social status we have, Christ's message is the same. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn and follow me. That was Christ's message 2,000 years ago, and it's the same today. Christ is calling everyone, and those with humble hearts will follow. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.